Welcome to MedEvidence, where we help you navigate the truth behind medical research with unbiased, evidence-proven facts, powered by Encore Research Group and hosted by cardiologist and top medical researcher, Dr. Michael Corrin. Hello again. My name is Dr. Michael Corrin. This is part of our Two Doc Talk series, and I'm very privileged to have my dear friend and colleague, Dr. Lisa Kirvin-Dawes, with me. As I mentioned during our last segment, we are we were medical students together at Harvard, and uh, we've been lifelong friends and do a lot of work, including medical education work together. And here we are. Yes, you do. Here we are talking about something that Lisa is very passionate about and very accomplished in, which is the concept of using natural remedies and ultimately figuring out best ways of applying this knowledge to her patient population. And she practices internal medicine and runs internal medicine in a big hospital in Jamaica as we speak. So thanks for joining us, Lisa. And we left our last segment talking about ether anesthesia, the fact that it started out basically as a recreational drug amongst a bunch of nerdy chemists that were discovering new elements back in the 1700s and early 1800s. It kind of came over through uh, the college ranks here in the U.S., mm-hmm. ultimately developed by Dr. Crawford Long and uh, Dr. William Thomas Morton, and um, became really a revolutionary way of doing surgery. But, and then we talked about a bunch of other examples. So t- talk to me a little bit more about an example of what you've done in Jamaica with regard to these natural remedies, but particularly how you start to pick doses. Like how do you get more scientific about your approach? Not, you know, just putting a bunch of salve on uh, versus uh, really being studied and thoughtful about it. Well, I think in Jamaica, as in a lot of the Caribbean islands and third world countries, we have all grown up using herbs. Mm -hmm. And they will tell you a pinch of this, you mix this amount, and you put this amount. And they're very specific. Like one of the herbs we use, or one of the food herbs we use for ulcers. Mm -hmm. We know that it only works, you have to keep it in the fridge for 48 hours. After that, you have to make a new batch. It won't work as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has been actually traditionally handed down. And I think if you look at back in the day with Digitalis, which is now the Jackson, they used to pinch off a piece of the herb and say, take this much every day mm-hmm. or you will be in trouble. Mm-hmm. So they have worked it out, but usually it's passed on. Right. And, and that gets into what we're talking about is how you develop things. So a digitalis is a good example of that. It comes from the foxglove plant. Mm-hmm. It was used by Sir Weathering back in the 1700s, and it was used initially for edema, which was, of course, a sign of congestive heart failure. Mm-hmm. And so that was the original discovery. And uh, if I remember the story correctly, and somebody will fact check me on this, but um, uh, Sir Weathering was a physician who actually learned it from a woman who was practicing herbal medicine back in those days. Well, she wasn't even practicing herbal medicine. She was, a, I think she was like a housewife who was just the, um, you know, the local yenta. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's she, usually a woman that's the local healer that yeah. people come to for stuff for headaches, yeah, it was menstrual just, cramps. Just like, it was just like a, a local woman who uh, turned Sir Weathering onto this idea. And then, of course, he brought it to the next level in terms of development, studying it. And then they realized that it wasn't just the foxglove, but it was the particular chemical of digitalis, which has eventually become digoxin. But we pharmaceuticalized it by starting to understand that 
when you use a plant, there may be different concentrations of the active ingredient, which is maybe hard to standardize. And then ultimately, you needed to be able to test the levels of digoxin in blood to know how to dose these things. Mm -hmm. And so, so this empirical concept of just looking at um, observational data gets you to a certain point, but then you got to transition to more scientific methods by which you are giving people a set amount of the product and then seeing what their levels are is a very simple example. So that would be part of the standardization of the basic observation. Mm-hmm. And um, so I may, you know, that's sometimes hard to do with some herbal remedies because the cost involved in developing those concepts is prohibitive. Mm-hmm. But you maybe you can comment a little bit on that. The problem with herbal remedies that people have been using is sometimes when you take a one chemical, mm-hmm. it may have me, you may need about two or three chemicals working together to get the effect that you want. Um, classic exam, um, turmeric is mm. an anti-inflammatory, mm-hmm. but you need the cucumin or the black pepper to work with it in order to get some of the effects. There's also, um, other chemicals in it that we think actually boost it as well. Mm-hmm. So if you're making a drug, then you have to make sure you take all of those into account mm-hmm. in order to, in order to get the effect that you want. Right. So, so again, that is one of the discussion points and maybe even a tension between just herbal medicine uh, and more traditional medicine, meaning mm-hmm. uh, what we do, uh, let's call it organized medicine. And um, you, we have advanced organized medicine through structured observation, right. whereas it's, it's sometimes more difficult to do. An example of that would be statin drugs. So uh, red yeast red rice yeast. has the basic ingredient of lovastatin. And um, uh, it's actually interesting. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, Merck, who developed lovastatin, wanted to get red yeast rice off the market. But they were not successful because that was just a naturally occurring chemical mm-hmm. that people had been using. And red yeast rice will definitely lower your LDL cholesterol is, level. Yes. It won't do it quite as well as... as um, Lovastatin, because lovastatin is a pure product, and certainly not as well as the newer statins, like right, it's uh, weaker. like mm-hmm. a torvastatin you know, or a rosuvastatin. Mm-hmm. But it didn't actually work, and lovastatin is an effective therapy, and it's been evidence-based proven. But your point would be, well, the red yeast rice has other components, and maybe those other components are less likely to cause statin side effects, for example. This mm-hmm. has come up before. I've actually had situations where I've had a patient that says, I can't take any statins. But they can, I ask them, can you take red yeast rice? And they say, yeah, I think I can do that. So I give it to them. It lowers their LDL by 20%. It's not as good as I want, but I'll live with it. And they feel like it's a natural product that doesn't cause the muscle aches. Now, whether or not that's psychosomatic <laughs> or actual real, it doesn't really matter. Because when we're treating patients, we just want to help them get to their goals. And in this case, we want to reduce their LDL cholesterol, which is everybody agrees is a, is a positive thing. But to your point, we don't know if that patient is truly just projecting the, the side effects depending on whether or not it's a pill versus a, versus a powder or whatever the preparation is. Or there's something, in fact, different in taking a pure chemical versus a combination of, of natural factors. And again, the only way you, you figure these things out is by testing. And that testing probably has not been done as much as it should be done, in, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel about that. Yes, I agree. 
Yeah. So, so talk to me a little bit more about you know taking your you know your organized medicine training and melding that with some of the traditional therapies that you're exposed to in Jamaica. Well, I think when I first moved to Jamaica, I a lot of medicines that we have great access to here we don't have there. Mm-hmm. And so you're going to decide what you're going to use to treat the patients. So mm-hmm. you're going to use what's available there herbally what, and what isn't. I mean, we have done stuff like with patients who can't um, handle aspirin, we'll do fever grass tea, mm-hmm. which also helps them in the same way. So you learn, you have to learn to combine. What we do try to teach is... Herbal medicine can cause side effects too. Just because it's an herb doesn't mean it's totally safe. And you have to take that into account with their other medical problems. But you know, I used to do that here while I was in the U.S. as well. Uh, How's that? Well, when I was in practice, I always had an interest because of how I grew up Mm -hmm. with using a lot of herbs. I grew up in Jamaica in the country. So we've always used a lot of herbs. Mm -hmm. And what happened was... In my practice, I realized a lot of patients were using herbs along with their regular medicine. God, this is like 30 years ago. That's a long time. And what I would say is bring them all in and I would look them up. Mm-hmm. And then I would say, you can take this one, this one, this one. Tell them you can't buy this one mm-hmm. and you can't take this anymore. I see. And so I did that for several years. And there was... um one of the people who worked for me who wanted to lose weight and got mm-hmm. this new Chinese medicine mm-hmm. and I was supposed to look it up. Mm-hmm. And it was a very busy week. I didn't mm-hmm. get to look it up. And they called me on the weekend to say she's in ICU and she had chest pain. Mm-hmm. And I went up to see her and I saw, I said, you took it. Mm-hmm. I guess that means you can't take this one. Then. All right. Well, that's one way to learn. <laughs> that's one way to learn. Yeah. But so just because it's an herb mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it will help you. It may. And I've used, I've used a series of herbs with helping pregnancy. Mm-hmm. So it's always been something that I have been interested in. I just tend to read more about them and what are the medicines they're taking and mm-hmm. what the other medical problems are. Yeah. So there, you know, there are a couple elements to that. One, of course, is patient acceptance. Some patients, rather have an herbal or natural remedy versus a pharmaceutical. Some people the opposite. Um, but if they're only willing to take a natural remedy, that's what you go with. I, honestly, I deal with this also. I have plenty of people that come to me as a, you know, a traditionally trained cardiologist, but they don't want to take any drugs. You know, so I have to suppress my first instinct and say, well, why'd you come to me if you don't, if you, if you, you know, I'm a doctor that prescribes drugs, so you know, I would think that that may be one of the main reasons you come to me. But of course, there's other reasons. And then, of course, you just get pragmatic. So I also am not discouraging at all about people that want to use herbal remedies, but I do the same thing is you need to look them up. And, and a lot of them have stuff in them that you wouldn't want your patients to have or that patients don't even know about. So, you know, for example, um, uh, I get a real kick out of this. Um, you've probably seen this, but memory. We, we do a lot of memory research here mm-hmm. at our institution. And um, I have patients that come in, oh, I saw this product on the internet that is, is supposedly great at memory. It helps your memory. There's all these testimonials saying that my memory improved when I got this, and there's 14,000 testimonies, whatever it is. And I say, okay, well, bring it in. So bring it in. And what's the main ingredient? Caffeine. Mm-hmm. 
caffeine. Right. I was going to think it was ginkgo biloba, which is supposed to be. Well, they put that in as well, but the, the main ingredient is caffeine. So, yeah, you know, after a cup of coffee, I think I can remember things better than before it. And so uh, it, that gets into some of the marketing. But also the fact that we don't know that much about these certain things. Like, you know, very simply, we we all use caffeine to help us with our concentration. You know, at least most people in medicine have used it to keep us awake. Yes. Yeah, but it helps your concentration. It, it, we we know that. But you know, there's a lot, and and we kind of figure out individually. Like, does one cup of coffee do it for you? Uh, do you need two? Do you need five? Do you need ten? Remember, I had one um, fellow uh, intern at. Uh, uh, in New York, who um, had Diet Cokes, that was his caffeine source. And he knew exactly how to dose it during the course of the day in order for him to keep his concentration going. And he kind of figured that out for himself. But we don't, we don't know that much about it more globally. Like, for example, it, when, when does the trade-off occur when you're, you're taking in too much? And uh, these are interesting elements of research that tend not to get funded because there's no obvious funding source. But get back to this whole concept of, quote, things that we just discover in nature or through our day-to-day lives that have medical implications. Okay. So I don't know if you have any other um, thoughts about that with regards to your practice in Jamaica. Are there things that um, fall into that category that come to mind? Um, I mean, we use, a lo- we use a lot of herbs just naturally. People go into the backyard mm-hmm. and actually pick For what these. kind of problem? Give me a... A problem that you would uh, um, that you would go for menstrual nerve. cramps. Okay. There are there are certain plants mm. that you take as a tea, mm. and it helps menstrual plant. Um, mm. It supposedly helps menstrual. Mm-hmm. Um, there is stuff for headaches, mm-hmm. stuff for fevers. Mm. Um, there are there's a plant that you bathe in for when you have chicken plucks or um, any sort of itching and stuff. And that does work. What, what's it called? Guaca. Guaca? <laughs> guaca plant. Is yeah. it guacamole? Guaca bush. You go to there and you get go pick some guaca bush. And do you know what the active ingredient is? Do I, I don't think it's ever been looked up. Really? Interesting. I don't think it's ever been looked up. And, and for the antipyretics that you were talking about for fever, um, do, Sal- do, it has a salicylic yeah, acid undergrowth, yes. yeah, which is very interesting because my gardener, um, they called me that he was dying. And I'm like, I rushed outside and said, what mm. happened? He said, oh, I had a bellyache. Mm. And so I had to mix me some fever grass tea. And now it's worse than ever. And I'm going, that's like having aspirin. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, yeah. it's worse. Well, because it. he sort of knew it as pain, not differentiating pain. Right, right. Yes, and also, of course, the bleeding elements. It could have been right. Uh, he could have actually had a bleeding ulcer and 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 making it worse with that. That's that's actually a great anecdote of how you combine traditional medical knowledge or organized med- medical knowledge with uh, naturopathic knowledge. But there's a bush practically for almost for every problem in Jamaica. All right. Well, hey. We're going to leave this session on that note. There's a bush for every problem in Jamaica, which is why I'll be down there next week. (laughs) Thanks for joining the MedEvidence Podcast. To learn more, head over to medevidence.com or subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform.